Data Lords is a story of two worlds. One clusters the mind, the other clears it. One seduces and exploits, the other nurtures. One ultimately isolates, the other truly connects. One clamors for our attention, the other simply awaits it. One force feeds answers, the other inspires questions. One manipulates our thoughts, the other grants freedom of thought, the data lords. Welcome to Something Came From Baltimore. I am your host, Tom Galker, and tonight on the phone, I have Maria Schneider, who just released an epic double album called Data Lords. The birth of this project starts all the way back to the year 2014, when Maria Schneider was asked to collaborate with David Bowie for his greatest hits collection called Nothing Has Changed. The song was called Sue, or In a Season of Crime. It was released as a single on the Nothing Has Changed Greatest Hits, and an edited version landed on David Bowie's final recording, Black Star. It is this collaboration that sparked the creative force that is Data Lord. Data Lord is a story of two worlds, one that is centered in nature and Earth's energy, and the other world that is run by big data culture, consuming conglomerates such as Facebook, Google, Yahoo, just to name a few. Data Lord is a double album that was recorded in four days and it was funded by Artist Share. In fact, all of Maria Schneider's recordings since 2004 has used the Artist Share platform. Before we chat with Maria Schneider, let's listen to Sputnik. Maria Schneider, welcome to Something Came From Baltimore. Thank you. Data Lords was released in July 24th. And I believe a lot of people, after they're going to listen to this interview, are going to run over to Spotify or YouTube to take a listen and just not going to be there. That's for sure. I think you have to explain to them up front that there's a, a secret way of finding your material and what your crowdfunding is. Yeah, um, so people find my recordings on my own site, mariaschneider.com, or Artist Share, which is the the site or the um, platform that I've been using for a long time to fund my works and much more than just the music. The idea that they had years ago was to um, share much more of the whole creative process. So when people buy a CD or a download on my site and they log in, there's a whole archive of videos from the whole period of making this recording and doing this project, including interviews and rehearsals. And the idea is that we're trying to expand the product beyond just the product and have it be a whole experience. And also to be able to fund such large-scale projects as this. This project, the budget was nearly a quarter of a million dollars. Um, you could never make that. I might pay for a Subway sandwich with with the money I would make on Spotify. 
so generally, I think that when people are, you know, love an artist and want to find their music, the best thing to do is to go to that artist's website and see what they might prefer. You know, unfortunately, many of them succumb to Spotify um, because they feel that they have to, you know, that they don't exist without it. But it's, a, it's just terrible for artists. And most artists are, are footing the bill for their own recordings. Yeah, I used to go to Tower Records. I'm a big music fan. In fact, I, you know, I was that guy that was in the Tower Records. I would spend hours there. I would talk to strangers or talk about what what I liked about this album or not. And the, the joy of buying a record, taking it home and absorbing it is really satisfying. And through the years with Spotify, I always feel disconnected to the music that I love. So I don't even get a chance to really absorb it the way I want to. You're very vocal, more to, more than most artists about uh, this topic. Are you getting any like a, a lot of flack or, or pushback from companies and or about it? No, as a matter of fact, not. It's funny, when I first was vocal about this stuff, you know, maybe five years ago or more, six years ago, I guess, was when I started really blowing my stack. You know, I, I was internally blowing my stack already back in 2006, you know, when I started to see where all this stuff with YouTube was going. But, um, you know, when I started talking about it, when I lectured in clinics and various schools and things, you know, I, I would get some pushback from students, oh, you know, that had this idea that, things should be free, you know, they, they call them as opposed to the co copyright, they call them the copy left, you know, everything should be free, music should be free, and it's, it's, it's so naive, if anybody knew the years, when I say a record like this costs a quarter of a million dollars, what I'm not including are the years, and I mean many years, of creating this music, rehearsing, you know, um, developing it working just insanely long days ever since September, every single day until this thing was released, obsessively, to the point of unhealthy. And so I'm not including my own time in that budget. So, you know, these people that think music should be free, it's, it's just silly. And the sad thing is, it's not people. You know, you went to, to Tower. You were happy bringing home that yellow bag of of LPs or whatever and spending a load on it and you were so excited to hear it and you knew not every record was going to be great but it was that whole experience and of getting music and the thing that's really sad is this whole concept of free music is coming from big data companies mainly YouTube and Google you know with this idea because when they make music free and when they allow people to upload music, no questions asked, with piracy all rampant all over their site, you know, they might say, oh, we're really concerned. But they're not, because what they get from that is all that user data. And that data is their goal. So for them, and even, even, even Spotify is a big data company. 75% of their employees are big data, um, you know, science analysts. They're not music people. So the fact that, you know, you don't really feel that there's a respect for liner notes and credits and, 
you know, the, the musical experience on Spotify is no accident. You know, they're interested in more music faster, getting more people, scraping more data, you know. One of their partners is Ancestry.com, you know. It's like, what, what the heck is that, you know? It's like, what are they finding out, you know, because you're, you're Irish, you might, they'll, you know, put in your queue, you know, Irish jigs or something. It's so absurd. It's, it's depressing, honestly. I was listening to an interview on YouTube on, uh, to do research on you. Sorry. <laughs> but you've been working on uh, Data Lords for like at least six years almost or five years. Yeah. Uh, the premiere. I think you were, uh, you know, premiering this and how you were describing it. And I think it's really cool is that the music itself appears to be calming and soothing and maybe tranquil underneath it's like the matrix and it's just churning away and i mm-hmm. do, and i do feel that it just kind of it builds up it's, well the digital world is the first album yeah and the, and the natural world is the second album so yeah. the, the idea is that you know it's like we're overwhelmed by all of these things you know that that do you know because you know how it is you're during your email and another email comes in and all of a sudden you're served up with an ad for this or that. And, you know, it's, it's, it's cluttering, cluttering our minds constantly with, um, with this neediness for our attention so that people's you know, companies can get our data or, you know, get us to buy something or whatever it is that they want. And so then the idea of the second album is what happens when you unplug, you turn that off. And you reconnect with nature, with yourself, with other people, with poetry, with art, with your own silence in your own private, uninterrupted un, uh, space of your own mind and being. So that, that, that's the premise of the, the whole recording. Personally, what would you say, what would you like, if you could change things and you have a magic wand, what would you say you could do to, to change things? To- um, that our government and and society would wake up and and that the government would seriously regulate these companies um, what they can do with data um, there would be much much more transparency in what they do with data um, there would be limitations uh, the exchange of data for things like music or maps you know we used to pay for maps and gps services now you get google maps for free why because they get they get data so all these things we paid for generated tax income that benefited the roads you know schools hospitals social things and all that tax revenue think about now all that tax revenue that is missing because of the economy and COVID, and what that's going to do to our cities to our society and I think that, you know, already in the tax code, there's something called barter, um, and barter should be taxed. And it is a barter, absolutely it is a barter, when you go on a site and you sign the terms of service that say, you know, in, use, in exchange for using this site, you know, you click through that thing, we get your data. Okay, that's the barter. Now let's tax that. What is the value of that? Uh, Sundar Pichai, um, you know, just testified before Congress about, um, uh, about uh, um, you know, antitrust and whatever. 
And he said, I forget how much he said, was it a thousand or twelve hundred or how much it is a month on average that they get from each person, what that data is worth. So I think, oh, okay, now let's tax it and let's put some of that money back in our society that they've drained out from this, this, um, this big data game. So I think there are so many things that should be done. And, but the first thing is people have to wake up, you know, wake up and, and, and refuse to use something. Just turn it off and not letting ourselves be a slave to our phone. You know, it's, it's unhealthy. Now, I just wanted to go through some of the songs that I really enjoyed. The Sputnik song to me has a reference to like John Williams, like the very epic intergalactic, and it's pretty intense. Well, when I, when I, um, wrote the first theme, which is the first just opening thing in the piano, I realized uh, that that theme, it felt like then it modulated up a half step. And then I realized that every time I played it, it would keep going up a half, half step, which is 12 times. And as I played with the idea of making each one a little bit different, it started to just have that sound of space. And a little bit, you know, the John Williams Star Wars or the whole planets or I don't know what it is it has it conjured up that feeling and I don't know what it is musically that did that I didn't do it on purpose it's, it's more like I I wrote it and I saw I saw space you know and so um but it is funny that it goes through 12 keys and which is sort of symbolic for the 12 zodiac signs and also the 12 months of the year which is the moon going around the um you know I, the the Earth, I guess, twelve times within a a year um, before the sun or the Earth goes around the sun again. If that's right, if I've got that right. Oh, yeah. So, <laughs> so the the number twelve is sort of significant. And and what's really amazing in this piece is the way Scott Robinson improvises, not as a typical jazz solo over chord changes, but really, you know. Uh, creating, being part of that picture and that landscape, you know, with his baritone sax. It's, it's really quite remarkable. Data Lords, the last minute of the song is it feels like deconstruction uh, that uh, broken into pieces or maybe starting anew. Um, what was your thoughts at the end of that that song? Well, just this idea that uh, you know this building, building, building of um, the idea was artificial, uh, based on Kurzweil's idea of, of singularity, where artificial intelligence becomes more intelligent than we are. And, and there are many people that say, matter of fact, Elon Musk just came out and said that the biggest danger our planet faces is from artificial intelligence, that this thing of it becoming more intelligent than we are and turning on. And he thinks that the threat is much bigger than nuclear war. Um, and so the end of this piece is playing out that dark scenario of, of, 
AI just taking us over and the whole thing breaks down and that all you hear at the end are basically little computery kind of sounds. And the guitar sort of feels like breathing, but I sort of see it as the breathing of a machine, you know? <laughs> sort of was fun to write. The, the end of that piece is different every single time we play it. The song Don't Be Evil uh, has a, like a bugle reverly. Is it a uh, reverly? No, no, it has taps in it. Is it chaps? But I think the trombone solo sort of has a revel, rev, however you say that, reverly? Reverly. Reverly. Um, yeah, Ryan Keverly's solo has that kind of a feeling in it, sort of this sort of militaristic um, vibe that I really love. Don't Be Evil is the Google internal mantra uh, for their code of conduct that they've removed since then. Stone song. Uh, it is beautiful, and I know that the the background is about a stone that you received from a world renowned potter, Jack Troy. But what was the uh, what was the feeling inside the song that that had that kind of conversation? Well, it was based. I, I bought a piece of pottery from him that was um, like an orb, and it and he had told me I should try rat, you know, moving it, and I could hear that he put these little stones inside. Um, and he, each one sounded very different. And so I chose one that I liked. I thought it was such a whimsical idea. And, um, he had said they're, he, they're called Ishinosasayaki, which in Japan or Japanese means the song inside of the stone. And so when I brought it home and played it and the, the, you're hearing the pottery in the, you know, I realized I didn't put that in the liner notes and people maybe don't realize that's the pottery that we're listening to. And um, and I just was thinking about the little stone, you know, just sitting patiently 
for eons, maybe waiting to be bumped and rolled and moved. And, you know, and so it's just a very silly um, little take on that. And it's, and a lot of the interaction between the players is that kind of thing, just bumping something along on, on even sides and it rolls and flops and stops and, you know, and it's, so it's got some humor in it and the, and the guys just play it so beautifully. Oh yeah. It's, it's, it's actually very beautiful. Snyder of the album is called Data Lords. Thank you for talking to me on Something Came From Baltimore. Thank you. Something came from Baltimore. Hi, it's Tom Galker, and I am the host of Something Came From Baltimore. Something Came From Baltimore is a words and music podcast, and it has famous and future famous artists, artists like Sean Jones, Rupert Holmes, Auntie Hammy, Joey DeFrancesco, Go-Go Penguin, Joey Alexander, Bucanti, Gerald Albright, Paula Cole, and Kat Edmondson. It's music that matters. It's music for your ears. Listen and subscribe to Something Came From Baltimore and be a part of that Be More music scene.